0: Good morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath. It's good to be here with you. This month has been a busier month for me than usual. I've been back in the hospital. But God is good, and I'm glad to be here this Sabbath. And I'm thankful for God's blessings in my life. Personally, I was fortunate enough to have my 30th birthday on Thursday, so I'm thankful for another year of life. I'm not as young as I used to be when I first moved here, but God has been doing a special work in my life and in the lives of, of you over the past few years. So it's just a blessing to be here with each one of you this Sabbath. And I've been looking forward to this message for a while. And as Tim said in the introduction, the title of the sermon is The Abomination of Desolation. That sounds kind of like a scary title, huh? But this is a very important subject that we will find in Scripture, and so I hope that as we go through this message this morning that we will all learn something important that will help us to be ready for Jesus to come. Amen? Let's go ahead and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for this beautiful Sabbath day, and I pray especially that your holy spirit will be with us may we remove any distractions from our mind and may we be filled with your spirit may the angels be in the room so that we may have sweet communion with you over the next few minutes and please be with me may you guide my words and i pray that many will be blessed today i pray this in jesus name amen turn with me to matthew chapter 24 verse 15 Matthew 24, verse 15. Here we see the words of Jesus. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. It's the great prophecy of Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 is a parallel of the destruction of Jerusalem and the second coming of Christ. And in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, Jesus speaks these words. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth let him understand. Now, this is a pretty familiar passage. I think I've quoted this verse many times when I study the book of Daniel. And a lot of times as Adventists, and I've done this myself, will take this verse and we'll say, Jesus talks about the prophet Daniel. He tells us to understand Daniel. Therefore, the book of Daniel must be important. Okay, that's, that's good. But that's not really the most accurate interpretation of that passage. Now, I've said that many times. But if you look at Matthew 24, verse 15, Jesus is telling us to understand something specifically in the book of Daniel. And what is he telling us to understand? He's telling us to understand specifically the abomination of desolation. Okay, so the book of Daniel, many of us have studied it. That's an important book. But of all the things in the book of Daniel that are so important, you have the prophecy we just studied this morning in our class about the about the image of the different metals you have the prophecy in daniel chapter seven about the judgment death books being opened. daniel chapter eight you have the 2300 day prophecy of all of those prophecies why would jesus pick this one prophecy in particular in matthew chapter 24 which parallels the destruction of jerusalem and the second coming of christ and tell us that's the prophecy to read and understand Why would he do that? Well, one thing that I know for sure, if Jesus tells us to read and to understand that prophecy, I really want to know what that prophecy means. Okay? So that's why we are going to talk about the abomination of desolation today. Now, the abomination of desolation is mentioned four times in the book of Daniel, and we will look at those briefly throughout this message or in more depth in some places, Daniel chapter eight verse thirteen, we have a desolating power that takes us to the end of the twenty three hundred day prophecy. It's right before Daniel eight fourteen, of course. Then you have in chapter nine verses twenty six and twenty seven, you have a desolating power that attacks the city or the the sanctuary and the city. And we'll talk more about this. Then in Daniel chapter eleven, you have a desolating power starting in verse 31 that persecutes god's people starting in 508 ad and then in daniel chapter 12 verse 11 you have basically the same thing now here's here's a key point the abomination of desolation is mentioned four times in the book of daniel one time is talking about the destruction of jerusalem the other three times are talking more towards the end of time before jesus comes the second time so if you have one instance talking about the destruction of jerusalem and you have three instances talking about the end of time which do you think is more important of the two it's the second one the one at the end of time. However, in order to fully understand the second one, you need to understand the first one so that you can have a clear understanding of what the last abomination of desolation is. So let's look briefly in Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 26. Now, we know Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 24 through 27 is the 70 week prophecy it's cut off from the 2300 days but in verses 26 and 27 you have the last of the 70 weeks and you have the abomination of desolation now verses 26 and 27 follow the a b pattern so part a and 26 and part a of 27 are talking about the same thing and then part b of 26 and part b of 27 are also talking about the same thing so the last half verses 26 and 27 are talking about the abomination of desolation so notice the last half of verse 26 it says and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary what's this prophecy talking about it's talking about the city and the sanctuary or the temple being destroyed And it's in the context of the 70 weeks of probation that were given to the Jewish nation. They rejected Christ, so after their probation closes, then their city and their sanctuary is destroyed. And then the rest of the verse says, And the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. Now... Then the second half of verse 27, after it talks about how Jesus is cut off in the midst of the week and causes the sacrifice and oblation to cease in 31 AD, then the second half of verse 27 takes us back to the abomination of desolation. And it says, and for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now I'm reading from the King James Version here, and in the marginal reading of the King James, there's actually another way of reading the second half of verse 27, which I believe helps to make this a little bit clearer, perhaps. And I'm going to read the marginal reading, and if you have a King James, you may have that in your margin. And it says, And for the over or, I'm sorry, and upon the battlements shall be the idols of the desolator with the abominable armies. Even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now, who is the desolate that desolations are being poured out upon in the end of Daniel chapter 9, verse 27? Well, remember. This is talking about the destruction of God's city and God's temple, Jerusalem, who had rejected Christ. And if you go to Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 and 38, this gives us a brief picture of who the desolate is. Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 and 38. This is Jesus speaking. This is when he is weeping up. About Jerusalem. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them, which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. So here we have. abominations or desolations being poured out upon the desolate and in this particular instance it's none other than jerusalem now you ask yourself okay so jesus tells us to understand the abomination of desolation and clearly we have the abomination of desolation being spoken of by daniel the prophet here in daniel chapter nine but what exactly is the abomination of desolation that's destroying the city of Jerusalem? Well, I'm going to read just a few points here. Um, in the book Great Controversy, Ellen White takes some history from from the story in Josephus to help us understand what the holy place is, that the abomination of desolation is standing in and so forth. So this is coming from actually the historian Josephus that Ellen White is quoting from. And here, and this is Great Controversy, page 25, it says, When the idolatrous standards of the Romans should be set up in the holy ground, which extended some furlongs outside the city walls, then the followers of Christ were, were to find safety in flight. So you have... The walls around the city of Jerusalem and then outside the city wall extending in a certain measure of furlongs outside, I don't know how far, was considered the holy place. So that encapsulated part of what Jesus is talking about when some abomination comes and stands in this area surrounding the city you'll know that that's your time to leave the city of Jerusalem. But it's a little bit more than that, actually. In a manuscript, 126, 1901, Ellen White also says this, "'The Jews, after their long captivity, would not make any image.'" And she's talking about their captivity um, to Babylon. "'The image on the Roman ensign, or banner, they called an abomination, especially when these emblems were placed in a prominent place for them to respect.'" such respect they regarded as a violation of the second commandment when the roman ensign was set up in the holy place in the temple they looked upon it with abomination okay so now what's now not only are we outside the city but we're also talking about the holy place of the temple and what we have here is we have the roman banner being placed in, a, in an area that's considered sacred to God's people. Now, what was it about the Roman banner that the Jewish people would consider to be an abomination? Well, on the Roman banner was a sign or a mark of the pagan gods. And so th- the, this mark of the pagan gods was a sign or a mark of the authority of Rome. And when Rome brought this sign or this banner with their mark of authority and set it in a place that was considered to be holy, this was considered an abomination to God's people. Now why is it considered an abomination? Go to Deuteronomy chapter seven, verses twenty five. In 26. Now remember Ellen White said that the Jews finally learned their lesson about making graven images, breaking the second commandment. You read through the entire Old Testament, they're constantly going after false gods, worshiping graven images. But finally, even though they reject Christ, they don't accept him as the Messiah, they're not going to worship graven images. They've gotten that down. Even after Jesus has ascended to heaven and they're persecuting the Christians, they're still not going to worship those graven images. So they have that right. That's about it, perhaps. And in Deuteronomy chapter 7:25, we see um, the command of God to them very early on in their history. Deuteronomy 7:25. This is. God speaking to them, the graven images of their gods or the pagan gods shall ye burn with fire, thou shalt not desire the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it unto thee, lest thou be snared therein, for it is an abomination to the Lord thy God, neither shalt thou bring an abomination into thine house, lest thou be a cursed thing like it, but thou shalt utterly detest it, and thou shalt utterly abhor it, for it is a cursed thing. So do you see what God is saying here? graven images that are a sign of pagan idolatry are an abomination to me. Don't bring them in to the places that I have said are sacred. And the Jews did that all through their history, but finally they learned their lesson, but they still reject the Messiah. But then in 70 AD, when the Roman army comes and surrounds the city, sets up shop in the holy place surrounding the city and eventually come into the temple and they set their banner, their mark of authority in an area that's considered sacred by the Jewish people. That is an abomination. And that was what Jesus prophesied. Now, what constitutes the desolation? Well, obviously the word desolation is very descriptive. A desolation totally annihilates that's that which it comes to destroy so the abomination of desolation in 70 AD was when the Roman army surrounded Jerusalem coming to destroy it and they set their banner or mark of authority in a place which was considered sacred and they desolated the city of Jerusalem That was the first fulfillment historically of the abomination of desolation. And interestingly enough, The destruction of Jerusalem is prophesied. We don't have time to read it, but you can read it in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 50 to 58. You might want to write that down. And in that prophecy, Moses predicts that if the nation of Israel are unfaithful to God, if they are disobedient, there will come a time when their city will be destroyed and they will eat their own children. And that is indeed what happened in 70 AD. So that historically is... The first example of the abomination of desolation in Scripture. Now, let's get back to Matthew 24, 15 real quickly. Why was it important for the people in the time of Christ to have an understanding of the abomination of desolation? Because if they didn't pay attention, when the Roman army surrounded the city, they would be destroyed. They would lose their lives. And we are told that not one Christian lost their life in the destruction of Jerusalem because they followed the words of Christ. They knew Bible prophecy based on the book of Daniel, specifically the prophecy of the abomination of desolation. So it was crucial for the people of that generation to understand the abomination of desolation. And it was mentioned one time in Daniel chapter 9. Now, if it was crucial... For the people of that generation to understand the abomination of desolation, how much more important do you think it is for us to understand the other three places in the book of Daniel that talks about the abomination of desolation? Do you think it could have any bearing on our salvation at the end of time? Let's see what the Bible has to say. Now let's let's walk through these three examples. And the first one is in Daniel chapter 8 verse 13 and Daniel chapter 8 of course is the great chapter of the prophecy of the 2300 days and verse 13 sets up the prophecy of the 2300 days and in verse 13 this is how it reads. Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden under foot?" So here you see the transgression of desolation, which is basically saying the same thing as the abomination of desolation. And the abomination of desolation is giving the sanctuary and the host to be trodden under foot. This is talking about God's sanctuary and God's people. And then the next verse tells us under 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. So here we have a persecuting power up until about the time of the end of the 2,300 days that tramples God's people and his sanctuary underfoot. So whatever this power is, it is defiling God's sanctuary and persecuting god's people now that's all we see in daniel chapter 8 verse 13 And if that's all we have you know historically you can make a pretty good guess about who it who this power is but daniel chapter 11 gives us the details to help us to know who this persecuting power that tramples god's people and sanctuary underfoot and Daniel chapter eleven. Maybe we'll do a Sabbath afternoon Bible study on Daniel eleven one of these days. Um, I've had the privilege of studying the book of Daniel in more depth this last year. I thank my friend David Penner for helping me to have the motivation to do that. He wanted to study after GYC, and so we said, "Let's get together and study the Bible." And we decided to study the book of Daniel, and we went through it verse by verse, and we both grew tremendously, and more people started coming to the study and that's what we should all be doing amen we get into bible studies people get excited about the word of god and more and more people start coming and that's what happened in our study but when i got to daniel chapter 11 i really got excited about some of the things that i found and the first 30 verses go through the history of the three kingdoms of Medo, persia greece and pagan rome and you come all the way down to verse 30 and verse 30 sets up Daniel 11:31, which historically talks about the abomination of desolation again. Now, Daniel 11, verse 30, brings us all the way to 476 A.D. and the fall of the pagan Western Roman Empire. Now, I don't have time to give you all the details, but I'll just give you a few clues by telling you that... When it talks about the ships of Chittim that come against him, this the ships of Chittim are talking about Carthage, which is based in Tyre, which is where um, one of the barbaric kingdoms that destroyed Rome, which was none other than Vandal or Genseric the Vandal. So the kingdom of the Vandals were set up in Carthage of Tyre. They were the ones that caused the downfall of Rome in 476 A.D. And Daniel 11 goes through the history chronologically. So you have 476 A.D., the fall of the Western Roman Empire. And then in verse 31, it makes sense that it's going to be chronologically right after 476 A.D. And in verse 31 it says, "...and arms shall stand on his part." Well, it's helpful to define some terms here. In verse 30, we have the fall of the pagan Roman Empire. And Daniel 11 is taking us down through history with this conflict between the king of the north and the king of the south. It starts off as two of the generals in the kingdom of Greece, but then Rome overtakes Greece. So then pagan Rome becomes the king of the north. You come down to verse 30. Pagan Rome is wiped out. And then sometime after 476 A.D., we have a continuation of the king of the north in a new phase and in verse 31 it says an arm shall stand on his part this is the king of the north and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength and shall take away the daily and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate does that sound familiar to Daniel 8:13 it's very similar you have polluting of the sanctuary, taking away of the daily, and setting up the abomination of desolation. So all three elements are in Daniel 8.13, Daniel 11, verse 31. So what's happening? Daniel 8.13 helps us to understand that God's people now are starting to be attacked and God's sanctuary is being polluted. And when it says, arms shall stand on his part, this is historically... Well, when you think about arms standing on someone's part, so you have arms standing on the part of the king of the north. This is describing a military power standing up on the behalf of the king of the north, which is now papal Rome. And this occurred historically in 508 A.D. Clovis was a king in France. He was a pagan king. He converted to Catholicism. He was baptized in 496 A.D. And in 508 A.D., Rome, papal Rome, made a decree that declared Clovis as the protector of Rome. Now, interestingly enough, every time prophecy in the Bible begins with a decree. And we will see that... Daniel 11:31 is the beginning of a time prophecy because Daniel chapter 12 verse 11 says the very same thing but it adds something. It tells us that this is the start of the 1290 and the 1335. So you have a prophecy in Daniel 11:31 and here we see the civil power standing up on the part of a religious entity. And so in Daniel chapter 11 verse 31 when it says they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate, you have now Rome receiving power from the civil power of a, of an army. So you have a civil power with an army to back up a religious entity, which is none other than papal Rome. Now, by this time, papal Rome had changed the sabbath from the seventh day to the first day and if you read on down through verses 31 through 35 those who did not follow the king of the north or the papacy were persecuted so what we have here now is we have papal Rome using the civil power to enforce their mark of authority which is a day of worship that they have changed from one day to the next day and you can see that more in daniel seven twenty-five. and those who do not follow this king of the north they are persecuted and you can read through it verses 31 through 35 and in verse 35 it says and some of them of them of understanding shall fall to try them and to purge and to make them why even to the time of the end because it is yet for a time appointed. So here you have a persecuting power using mark of their authority Sunday to persecute anyone who goes against them. And this continues till the time of the end. If you go back to Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, it says, The saints of the Most High will be given into this little horn hand for a time times and a dividing of time that's 1260 days so this links the 1260 to the time of the end so this persecution also known as the abomination that maketh desolate in daniel chapter 11 goes till 1798 the time of the end now what happened in 1798 daniel chapter 11 actually tells us this Daniel chapter 11, verse 40, it says, And at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him. So when's the time of the end? It's 1798. The king of the south pushes at the king of the north. Well, what do we know from Revelation 13 that this is? This is the deadly wound. This is when General Berthier comes in, takes Pope Pius VI captive. And guess what happens in 1798? For a time when the deadly wound is received... Papal Rome can no longer persecute God's people. So all of a sudden, the abomination, changing God's day of worship from one day to the next, that maketh desolate, persecuting God's people who won't follow that change, is put on hold. There's a deadly wound that is received in 1798. So after 1798, the abomination of desolation is put on hold, but... It's going to come back. Daniel chapter 11, verse 40 and onward, tells us about the comeback of the king of the north, and I don't have time to go through all the details of Daniel chapter 11 verses 40 through 45, but this is a good place to study your Bible because verses 40 through 45 are where we are in the history of earth right now. Daniel chapter 11 begins with the kings of Meda-Persia. It goes through sequentially all of those kingdoms that takes you all the way down Point by point to 1798 And then you have 1798 Of Daniel 11 verse 40 To Daniel 12 verse 1 With Michael standing up at the close of probation And we're right in between there Now I want to get back to Matthew chapter 24 If Jesus says to read and understand the abomination of desolation, how important do you think it is to understand what the abomination of desolation is just before Jesus comes? Remember, Matthew chapter 24 is a parallel prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem and the second coming of Christ. Now, let's look at Daniel chapter 11. I'm going to take a moment to draw something on the board here. And I'm not a great artist, but this will have to work. This is Palestine. And to the west of Palestine, you have the Mediterranean Sea. Down here, you have Egypt. You have Libya. And over here you have Ethiopia. And Daniel chapter 11 verses 40 through 45 talk about all of these entities. And it's crucial to understand this. Now, in Daniel chapter 11 verse 40, we see the king of the south pushes at the king of the north. That's the deadly wound in 1798. But then we see the king of the, of the north makes a comeback. And it says he enters into the glorious land. Early in, earlier in Daniel chapter 11, the glorious land is none other than Palestine. Now, Palestine, of course, is the place where God's people reside. So the king of the north comes down through Palestine. He comes all the way down through. And then as you get to the end of Daniel chapter 11, you see that he's in Egypt, Libya, and Ethiopia. So this is, of course, symbolically speaking. But now he, so he has, he's overthrown Egypt, he's overthrown Libya and Ethiopia. And then in verse 44, as the king of the north seemingly is conquering the whole world, symbolically speaking, it says, tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly to make away many. Now, here is the key point. Where does the message come from that infuriates the king of the north? It comes from the east and the north, which, interestingly enough, geographically speaking, on a literal level, it's coming from somewhere in Palestine. There's a message coming from Palestine. Now, Palestine represents God's people. So there's some message coming from the east, that's infuriating the king of the north, the papacy, as in his effort to take over the whole world. And his response to this message is to go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly to make away many. Does this sound familiar with earlier in Daniel chapter 11? You have persecution of God's people when they don't follow what this king of the north power wants. Now what is it, what message is it, That is causing the king of the north to be so upset this message is coming from the east and the north If you've read revelation chapter 7 Where does the sealing message come from? It comes from the east Revelation chapter 7 says I saw an angel coming up from the east having the seal of the living God So you have this sealing message coming from the area of God's people and what is the seal of God? Based on Ezekiel chapter 20 verses 12 and 20, Romans chapter 4, 11, it's none other than the Sabbath. Now why would the Sabbath message coming from God's people so infuriate the king of the north? because the sabbath message goes directly against the mark of the authority of the king of the north the mark of authority for the king of the north is the fact that he has thought to change times and laws and that's from the book of daniel right there so what happens in response to this message from the east Verse 45 says, And he shall plant the tabernacle of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end and none shall help him. Now, I'm reading from the King James again, but... If you have the New King James, perhaps, it reads, And he shall plant the tabernacle of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. And that's the way most literal translations interpret this. So here's some key components here. You have the king of the north planting a tabernacle and a palace. When you think of a tabernacle, what do you think of? You think of a place of worship. When you think of a palace, you think of a place where kingside. So here you have again, in Daniel chapter 11, verse 45, in response to this message from God's people, you have the king of the north combining church and state to counteract the message of God at the end of time. Now notice carefully where this is placed. Now... In the original, when it says between the seas, that's referring to the Mediterranean Sea. It says between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. Now, Palestine is referred to as the glorious land. The glorious holy mountain, and let me give you some references, is actually a little bit different. The glorious holy mountain, if you look in Isaiah 11, 9, Psalms 2, 6, Ezekiel twenty eight fourteen, and Psalms 48, 1 and 2, is none other than Mount Zion, which is in Jerusalem. So now you have a message... Now you have Jerusalem right here. And what, what is Jerusalem in Bible prophecy? If you study Ezekiel chapter 9, that is the place inside where God's people will receive the seal of God. You have a sealing message coming from the north and east from where the king of the north is. It's coming from Jerusalem. It's coming from the remnant church. And when this message goes out, the king of the north goes out to try to destroy these people. And what does he do? He plants the tabernacle of his palace between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. So here, symbolically speaking, between Jerusalem and the Mediterranean Sea, you have... A church State Image That is set up Now notice What this church State image does What does C Represent in Bible prophecy People So you have the sea Which is vast And then you have God's people In Jerusalem And notice What's the dividing line Between God's people And the rest of the world It's This Church State Image That is set up And in Revelation chapter 13, we're told all the world wondered after the beast. And here we see in Daniel chapter 11, God's people are separated out from the rest of the world, and the, di- the dividing line is those who give the loud cry of the sealing message of Revelation 18 and those who follow the beast and receive the mark of his image. Now, why is that important? As you can see in Daniel chapter 11, verse 45, this is the final abomination of desolation in the book of Daniel. Why is it important that we understand that? Because you're either going to be in two groups. You're going to be in this little group here known as the remnant inside the city of Jerusalem giving a message that goes to the whole world or you're going to be in this large group of people that wonder after the beast and jesus tells us to read the book of daniel and to understand what the abomination of desolation is so that just like the christians at the time when jerusalem was destroyed we will not lose our salvation at that time now Mind you, while the the final abomination of desolation is being set up, this message from the east and north is going to the whole world. And that's from Revelation chapter 18. This is very interesting. If you look at Revelation chapter 18... It says, After these things I saw another angel come down from heaven having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory, and he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. Now right before that in Revelation chapter 17, notice how Babylon is described. In verse 5 it says, And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I don't have time to take you um, to this verse now, but in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 3 and 4, we are told that an abomination is when you worship the sun. That's Deuteronomy 17, verses 3 and 4. So here you have Babylon, the mother of harlots, and the abominations of the earth. And you have a message in Revelation 18 that goes out to the whole earth, lightening the earth with its glory. And this is none other than the loud cry because the latter rain has been poured out. Now, why has the latter rain been able to be poured out so that you can have a message coming from Jerusalem that will infuriate the king of the north? How come God can now pour out his latter rain power? Acts chapter 3.19 tells us, Acts chapter 3.19 tells us, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. God's people have had their sins blotted out and with their sins blotted out they have a message now that will lighten the earth with its glory. Now, why have their sins been blotted out and they have received the power of the Holy Spirit? Acts chapter 5, verse 32 tells us, And we are his witnesses of these things, and so also is the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. Interestingly enough, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon God's people who obey him. Obedience is important. It's only by faith. But for us to think that we can follow God and live a life of disobedience, that's exactly what the King of the North wants you to believe. Because if you believe that, you're going to be in that vast sea that separates God's people from the rest of the world. But if you, by faith, surrender your heart to God every day, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to... I want to challenge you as a group and as I say this, I, ask, I say this in a prayerful way that you pray for me now that I am the leader of this group. I need your prayers and all of us as leaders here need your prayers. And I believe that we as a group need to come up higher because we haven't reached the point in time where that message is going to the whole world to lighten the earth with its glory. We're still stuck in Laodicea spinning our wheels. And... I myself can say that of myself. And many of us here, we can say, what are we doing? How come we haven't reached that point where God can blot out our sins and fill us with his Holy Spirit? I want to read a quote from Steps to Christ, page 34. Even one wrong trait of character, one sinful desire persistently cherished will eventually neutralize all the power of the gospel. Every sinful indulgence strengthens the soul's aversion to God. And I want to challenge you. I believe, based on what the Bible says and what we've just read in that passage, that the reason we haven't reached that point is because many of us today are still holding on to that one darling cherished sin that we know we need to get rid of, but we still keep doing it anyway. And God wants us to have something better. It's, it's always amazing to me when I think about, people talk about, can we really have victory over sin in our lives? Well, Why would you want to keep sinning? Because God has something so much better for you. The peace that comes when we get rid of sin in our lives through the power of God. And this is a key point in Faith and Works, page 100. And this is where so many of us say, You know what, God, I'll give you everything but this one thing. You can have every part of my life except the fashions of this world. You can have everything in my life except the food that I eat. You can have everything in my life except the stuff I watch on television. And that's not what God's asking for. God's asking for our entire heart so that instead of one sin neutralizing the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel will enlighten our life so that we will lighten the earth with the glory of God. And Faith and Works, page 100, says God requires the entire surrender of the heart before justification can take place. And in order for man to retain justification, there must be continual obedience through active, living faith that works by love and purifies the soul. Why does Jesus want us to understand the abomination of desolation in the time that we live? You know, the the true application of the abomination of desolation is a false system of worship that sets its mark of authority directly against God. But on a practical level, if we persistently cherish one sin in our lives, that will be the abomination that makes us desolate. So whenever we study scripture, we need to understand how this applies to our daily lives. And so when that time comes, we will be ready to follow. We will be following God all the way. And when we see the mark of the papal authority, we will leave Jerusalem just as the people of God did during that time. And I'm going to close with this paragraph from Maranatha, page 180. The time is not far distant when, like the early disciples, we shall be forced to seek refuge in desolate and solitary places. As the siege of Jerusalem by the Roman armies was the signal for flight to the Judean Christians, so the assumption of power on the part of our nation, the United States, in the decree enforcing the papal Sabbath will be a warning to us. It will then be time to leave the large cities, preparatory to leaving the smaller ones for retired homes in secluded places among the mountains. And I ask you this today, and I'm, you know, many of you here are students in school, and that's a good thing, and you want to give it everything you have to finish your school. But what if the abomination of desolation was set up tomorrow? Would you be ready to drop school and follow Jesus? Or would you say, you know, I'm just going to play it out for a few more months. I'm going to get my degree and then, you know, hopefully this, all this Sunday lost talk will, will kind of smooth itself out and, and I can be a doctor first and then Jesus can come. Think about your attitude towards the second coming of Christ. Are there things in your life that you hope happen first before Jesus comes or do you want Jesus to come now because you love Jesus so much? That is... A true measuring stick that only you can know. And I have to ask myself that every day. So I challenge you as a group. I believe that God has a special work for this group to do. If we put away sin in our lives, there is nothing that we cannot accomplish with the power of God. God has raised this group up to do a special work. Compared to five years ago, we were a group of 20 people. We have 60 people coming to prayer meeting now. We're, we're larger at prayer meeting than we were when we started, and I'd like to see more people at prayer meeting. But it's not just the numbers. It's the quality of the character of the people that come. We're not here just to hear good sermons. We're here to get closer to Jesus so we can be ready for him. Amen? So let's surrender everything in our lives so that we will be Part of the group of people That give that message At the end of time That lightens the earth With the glory of God Let's bow our heads for prayer Father in heaven Thank you For The messages of warning You've given to us In the book of Matthew You've told us to read And to understand The abomination of desolation And we see the signs All around us That This could happen very soon but we pray that we would put everything out of our lives that is preventing you from filling us with your spirit, from blotting, us, blotting out our sins, and empowering us with latter rain power to lighten the earth with your glory. Lord, we know that that will be an exciting time, but it will be a time in which we will be totally dependent on you. Help us to be totally dependent on you now and to put those things out of our lives so that we can be filled with your spirit. We thank you for your love for us and help us to be ready on that great day. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.